I don't know if you've ever been tested. I don't mean have you taken a test. We've all, through our lives, taken many tests, maybe in geometry or calculus. Maybe you're even studying for a test uh, that's coming up this week. No, I'm talking about being tested. Talking about your character, your resolve, your faith being tested. Maybe you've faced a difficult situation you found yourself in, and you're kind of wondering who God is or where he is. Maybe you've faced testing, and you're like me, and you found yourself to be wanting. You've been tested, and you failed, and you're heartbroken. This morning, we're going to see Jesus being tested right at the beginning of his ministry. You can turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. That's on page 809 in the Bibles under the chairs in front of you or on top of the chairs uh, uh, if you're up in the, the balcony. We've been journeying through the book of Matthew now for several weeks. Last week we saw in Matthew uh, chapter 3 Jesus' baptism. Uh, a, a wonderful moment where he comes to John, uh, John the Baptist, uh, who had been baptizing people. And he comes to comes to John, and, and, and at first John says, Jesus, I, no, I'm not going to baptize you. I actually, I mean, I, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, let, let it be done to fulfill all righteousness. And so John does it. He baptizes him. And when he baptizes Jesus, Jesus comes out of the water, and it's this incredible moment that the heavens open. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. It's powerful. And then this voice from the Father, voice from heaven this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What an incredible moment. This is the first time we've, we're seeing Jesus as an adult. And, and we're seeing this incredible moment, this affirmation of the father that Jesus is his son. It's incredible. And now we, move, we transition on to Matthew chapter 4. We see Jesus being tested. Let's look with me at ch chapter 4 here starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Amen. The word of the Lord. Here we see Jesus being tested, and before we we dive into these three tests, these three temptations. I want to just look at three things briefly. I want to look at who the tester is, who the tempter is, and who the tested or tempted one is. First, we see right there in, in verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This testing that is happening is the Lord's doing. Jesus has just, the Spirit has just come on Jesus in that powerful way, like a dove. And the first thing he's doing is leading Jesus into the wilderness for this fasting and this temptation. The Lord is the one here that's testing Jesus. I want to make a distinction here, though. The Lord is leading and testing, but it's the devil, as we see here, who is the tempter. Right? He's leading into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Lord is testing Jesus here. But he is not the one tempting him. The Lord cannot be tempted, and he does not tempt. He's not the author of evil. He doesn't tempt us. Here, that is the role of the devil, the adversary, Satan, the accuser. So we see the tester, that's the Lord. We see the tempter, that's the devil. And then we see the one who's being tested, Of course, no, that's Jesus. But Jesus here is on full display in his humanity. You see that in verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The scripture here points out something to us that is pretty obvious, actually, right? You could just say he's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. The assumption is that he would be hungry. I would be hungry after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. I would be hungry after fasting... 40 hours. No, maybe four hours. I'm getting hungry right now for lunch. Maybe you are too. We see Jesus here. He's vulnerable. He's hungry. He's weakened by his fast. He's a man. But Jesus isn't just a man. He's also the Son of God. We've just seen that proclaimed very powerfully from heaven itself. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. This is who's going to this time of testing. So let's look at our temptations. Look at, look at the, the first one, this first test. This is in verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. It's an interesting temptation. It's actually a pretty good one, right? We've just heard literally Jesus is hungry. So where, where, is, where, is, where is Satan going right after Jesus? Right at that hunger. Right at his humanity. Right? And it's very natural. If I had the ability to turn stones into bread, I would have done it already. I wouldn't have waited 40 days. You might not have either. So it seems like a reasonable thing, actually. Why couldn't Jesus just do this? Why does that even need to be a test or a temptation? Well, because Jesus has been led there by the Spirit. And Jesus', Jesus obedience isn't to the devil, but to his Father. And the Father has brought him there to fast. 
And so that's what he's doing. That's why he gives this response. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. That every word that comes from the mouth of God, that's God's commands. He's leading. And Jesus is trusting in them. He's obedient. This passage, Jesus is quoting from the scripture here. We'll see him do that three separate times throughout these tests. This one comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. We're going to invite you to turn there with me now. Make sure you put a finger in Matthew 4 because we'll be back there in just a moment. Should be in page 152 on the Bibles that are uh, in front of you there. Maybe you're already holding. Jesus here is making a connection between himself and the people of Israel. We've actually been seeing this throughout, throughout the book of Matthew. Most recently, we just saw Jesus baptized. In 1 Corinthians, Paul makes a connection between the, the Israelites' passage through the Red Sea and baptism. So Israel has come through. They were, God led them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, parted it, defeating Pharaoh and his armies to bring them on the other side for their testing in the wilderness. Now we find ourselves in Deuteronomy. This is, this Deuteronomy is an incredible book. It means Deuteronomy, the name is the second law. And what it is, is Moses speaking to the people of Israel as they're getting ready to enter the promised land. And what he's doing is he's telling to the second generation of the people of Israel, because the first generation all died off in the wilderness because of their their failures, their disobedience to God. And what he's doing is he's retelling the law. He's retelling that great pivotal moment of the Exodus. And this is part of where we pick up in the, in the middle of it here in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Chapter 1. Sorry, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, the whole commandment that I command to you today, this is Moses speaking to the people of Israel. It says, you shall be careful to do that you might live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you. These 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. Do you see that right there? This is God testing the people of Israel, to know what's in their heart, to know what they're made of, to know whether they will obey, if they will be faithful. And then Deuteronomy verse 3, we continue on. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you, he might make you known, he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. When God brought his people out of Egypt and into the wilderness, he provided for them miraculously this manna each day that would come down afresh each day that they would collect and feed themselves. We still don't even really know what it is. He, Moses saying here, you didn't even know what it was. But it fed you. It kept you through the wilderness you didn't need bread. You had me. You had the Lord. The man doesn't live just on bread. 
but on obedience and on faithfulness. They're faithfully following him. He's faithfully feeding them. This is what Jesus is doing here. He's hungry. He's a very hungry man. And the temptation is to feed himself, to turn stones into bread. But Jesus knows. He knows who is his provider. It's his Father in heaven. He's providing for him. So he is going to be obedient. He's going to trust in the word of the Lord. And he's not going to do it. He passes the first test, the first temptation. He trusts the Lord. How about in verse 5, what about the second temptation? How does, how does Satan come at Jesus this time? Verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So here we have this incredible sight. Jesus has been sort of transported by the devil. It's probably likely a vision, but he's brought into this pinnacle of the, the temple, likely maybe the southeast corner that overlooks the Kidron Valley. It should be a couple hundred feet up. You can remember... There was one day we had some roofers were coming to take a look at our roof of the building here. And he said, is there any way I can get a good view of it? And I was like, well, you can't access the belfry up, up, you know, all the way up through the attic. And he's like, well, can you, can you take me there? And I was like, sure. Heights are not my thing. But we crawled up through the attic space, knocking away the cobwebs, and got up on top of the belfry. And I'm up there... The, sitting, just literally sitting on the belfry. I'm some terrified. And it's not, you can see it. It doesn't even seem that high when you're looking up at it. It's high. The roofers up there are just like, yep, yeah, let me take some pictures, standing around, not doing anything. I'm terrified. And this is, the, this is the image, right? Up on that pinnacle, looking down, it's there. Is Jesus with Satan. And Satan, just having heard Jesus quote scripture, now actually brings the scripture to Jesus. Satan here, when he says he'll command his angels concerning you, it's quoting from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And it's a beautiful psalm, and it's, it's promising for, for all those who would, to, who would you know, follow the Most High, serve him, that God's protection for them, his guidance. Right? It's, it's beautiful, something to trust in. Right? So why is Satan bringing this before Jesus? The Satan is tempting Jesus to put God to the test. He's saying, oh, you know, you're, you're the son of God, if you are. Well, then God's going to save you. He protects his people. He's going to protect you. So go ahead, throw yourself off, right, and, and, and prove that God will do that. His angels will swoop, will swoop down and save you, right? It's just this moment to, to put God to the test. Maybe you've done that in your life, maybe you, or you've wanted God to prove himself for you. You've, you've said if you, you know, Bring me through this. If you bring me through this, if you, if you let me get that A on this test that's coming up on Wednesday, I'll, I'll, I'll trust you. I'll go further, right? Or maybe if you bring me through this difficult situation in my life, then I'll, then I'll trust you, right? We want, we want, a, we want and, and it's always in there in us to want to put God to the test, for him to prove to us who he is, prove his word. And that's what Satan is inviting Jesus to do here in a very dramatic way. Is Jesus going to fall for that? Is he going to 
test his father to prove his love and care for him? He's not. Jesus already knows the truth. This is where he says in verse 7, again, quoting from Deuteronomy, this time Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, says, and again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is saying, I, 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 I know where my safety is. I know who my father is. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put him to the test. I'm going to trust him. In this portion of Deuteronomy, Moses is retelling that story, right, of God's people as he's bringing them out of Egypt. Jesus here identifying himself with those, with those people coming out. And he brings them out. The Lord brings them out. They're in this wilderness area, and there's not water there. So immediately, they just start grumbling to Moses about where the water is and how they're going to make it through this. Now, mind you, the Lord has just, he's just made 10 miraculous plagues in Egypt. Egypt is mighty power at the time. Israel is literally slaves to them, being forced to make bricks without wheat. Right? And God has brought them out of that, this mighty parting of the Red Sea, this incredible miracles, right? That if we saw, we would just be dumbfounded, sea parting in front of us. And there comes this area where there's no water. And then the first thing they're doing is grumbling, right? The, the, the response should be to, to trust, right? Trust God that he's carrying them, that he didn't bring this. He didn't do all of that to bring them out of Egypt to see them die in the wilderness. But they're not trusting, Right? They, they're, they're, they're coming to Moses and saying, where is, our, where is our water? And, of course, there's this wonderful miracle, right, where Moses takes his, the Lord says to Moses, take your staff and hit this rock, and, and water, will, water will come out. And he does. Water comes out, nourishes the people. But they failed. God's people failed. They put him to the test. They had a moment to trust. God is this whole their whole time in the wilderness, a, a, a testing, a moment to trust, and they failed. Jesus here passes the test. He's not going to put God to the test. He's going to trust him. He's going to walk with him. There's a warning here for us in, in, in Satan's temptation as well. Satan quotes the scripture. He knows the Bible, at least Psalm 91, but I, I'd venture to say he probably knows the whole thing. Right? Many of us know the Bible, a lot of it, but there are people out there who know the Bible maybe better than all of us. Maybe not better than Curtis. He knows it quite well, as we know. If you know if you come here. Right? There are people out there that know the Bible so well. They know it in their heads. But they don't, they don't know it in their hearts. They don't, they don't believe it. They don't trust it. They don't obey God's word. Because for them, it's not God's word. It's an ancient document. And they'll take it and they'll mix it around and say, oh, no, this story, the devil, the temple, the mountain, that's made up. Can't be in there. Can't trust it. It's just a story. It's not real. That's what happens when we just allow ourselves to just have a, a sort of head understanding, right? Just knowing the scripture without knowing the Lord, without trusting it, without trusting him and obeying it. That's a warning to us. This final temptation we come to, after Satan has twice now been defeated by Jesus, come to it in verse 8. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Wow. Wow. The devil has actually here in some sense he's given up. He has been appealing to Jesus on who he is as the son of God, right? The first two times, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, now he's just calling Jesus unabashedly to worship him, right? He's holding out this temptation of, of all the kingdoms and all the glory. It's an incredible thing. He's giving him this vision, right? Imagine just seeing all of these kingdoms, all of their riches just laid out before you and saying, this can be yours. This is yours. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He won't worship Satan. And you would say, and I would say, I'm never going to worship Satan. Who, who would do that? Of course, there's some people out there, they do. Right? Let's pray for them. They do. They, they unabashedly worship the devil. Right? But most people don't. They wouldn't say that. They wouldn't say they're doing that. But they look out and they see... They see the kingdoms and their glory. They see it out there. And they say, I want that. I want the power. I want the wealth. I, I, I want what my eyes lust for. I want, I, want, I want my belly to be full of delicious things. They want that. And so what, what do they do? They, 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 they turn away from the Lord. And they begin to direct their, their lives in a way, the way they spend their money, the way they spend their time, the way they interact with their family or maybe don't interact with their family in a, in a way to gain that glory of the world. So subtly, maybe unintentionally, they've gone not from worshiping the Lord but to worshiping the devil. They wouldn't say that. No one would say that, right? You wouldn't say that, but that's what's happening. They want those things instead of what God has. What's Jesus' response to Satan when Satan holds that out for him? Jesus is done. He says in verse 10, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. It's, it's pretty straight. It, it has an exclamation point there. It does in the ESV. Right? I love when the Bible gives you an exclamation point. Be gone, Satan. Right? It's a command issued to Satan, and we see in verse 11 what happens. Satan left him. Of course he did. Of course he did. Jesus is the Son of God. But, but Jesus isn't done with the Scripture. He isn't done call, calling us there. What does is Jesus continue on saying? It says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus is again taking us to Deuteronomy, and again Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is, this is Deuteronomy 6, 13 and, and following. He's kind of condensing it there. It's not, not so much an exact quote, but a consolidation of what's, of what's there. This is a command that Moses is giving the people of Israel as they would go into the land. Because as they go in, they're going to face all sorts of people that are worshiping all sorts of other gods, all sorts of idols. And he's saying, worship the Lord your God, and only, only, sorry, and Him only shall you serve. Now, now back in, 
in Exodus when God again, right? We saw his people Israel. We know, we know that story, right? It's an incredible truth of God freeing his, his people. He's bringing them out, right? And he brings them into the wilderness, and they're there. And then Moses goes up. He goes up to, 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 to encounter the Lord and to receive the commands of the Lord. You know how long Moses is up there? He's up there 40 days. He's not eating. He's not drinking. God is giving him the law that the people are to obey. And what are the people, what are God's people? The people who, who, who God is, he, he refers to them as scripture, as his, as his son, his own child, Israel. What are they doing while, while God is giving Moses his law that's going to define them as a people? What are they doing? They're building a God. They're building a, a golden calf to worship. As God, the one they should be worshiping, is providing for them. They're there building an idol. They're worshiping the devil. This is God's people. They wouldn't have said they're worshiping the devil. But they're worshiping an idol. They are. They've turned. They've failed. We see God with his people, with his son Israel, this failure. And we see here Jesus stand against the devil and pass the test. He's passed it. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus is making it clear at the very beginning of his ministry, his character is being revealed to us. It's a character of trust and faith and obedience in the Lord, the one true living God. Jesus is his true and faithful son. At the end of the Gospel of, of Matthew, we see this phrase that Satan was using to tempt Jesus. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, we see Jesus receive that as a taunt at the end of his life as he hung, battered, and bleeding, and dying on a cross. They said to him, if you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. If you are the Son of God, do it. But what, what, what did Jesus do? He stayed there. He stayed on the cross because he is the faithful and true Son of God. Because his, his mission was not for his own glory, but his mission was to save his people. He's identified with his people, his people Israel, and if all who today would believe in him stands in their place on that cross. He's passing that final test, the test on the cross that will lead him to death. He dies on the cross, not for his own self, but for us. But glory be to God, right three days later, up from the grave, he arose up to life Passing the final test of death, that we in him, if we trust in him as the faithful and true son of God, the one, that we too can have eternal life. That we too can have life from the grave. That we in him can pass that test, that final test. If you're, if you're not a Christian with us this morning, 
so glad that you're here. We're so glad. We want to invite you. I want to invite you to consider Jesus, to look to the true and faithful Son of God. We've seen him this morning prove his character. He's given opportunity. In fact, he had it his whole life to, to, to rule with the power he had, to subjugate people with the power of had, to use it for his own glory. And he at every moment did just the opposite. He humbled himself in obedience. As we saw, even obedient to death. This, this is the Jesus who invites you to follow him. He loves you. He cares for you. Seek him. If you've never read the, never read the Bible, we've got free ones on the, on, the, on the back counter there. We'd love for you to take one. You don't even have to talk to anyone. We just got these new beautiful black hardcover ones. Grab one. Take it. Read it. Read the Gospel of Matthew with us. See who Jesus is. He will prove to you who he is. His faithfulness, his love, his care. Turn to Jesus. If you are a Christian with us this morning, this is your Jesus. This is your king. This is the faithful and obedient one. Keep turning to him. Keep following him. Keep believing and trusting and obeying. The temptation with this passage, our temptation with it, is to say, oh, I see how to work through temptation here. I, I, just, I need to know these scripture verses. I need to know my Bible. And then when temptation comes, I'll just come at it with scripture verses. Now, memorizing the scripture is an incredibly wonderful thing. And there are a few things you could do that would be a better use of your time. To spend time in the scripture, reading it, memorizing it, let it seep into your, into your bones, into your soul. Trust it and believe it. But that's not the lesson here. The lesson is, here isn't just have scriptures ready to temptation. When, when you are being put to the test, when you are fighting temptation, whether that's temptation to cheat on a test or to look places you shouldn't or to or be dishonest at work, when you're facing trials and temptations, the key isn't just to like buck up your own will and, and, and recite scripture to yourself. No, it's to turn to Jesus. Jesus is the one who is victorious over temptation. He has passed the test. And our only hope of passing the test both in this life and in our final test of death is Jesus. So we turn to him. We trust in him. I would invite you, turn to Jesus. Trust in him. Let us pray.